Take your Bibles this evening, if you will, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. <clears throat> Every year that we come to what is the third Sunday in November most years, or the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we always... I always look forward to the Sunday night, but most churches, or say most, many churches in our country, even good Bible preaching churches like ours, when it comes down to money, your giving of it, and the church's corporate spending of it, it can be disagreeable. It's sad. It's unfortunate. Uh, I was reminded even again today uh, in talking with our friends that visited with us, and we were glad they stayed. They stayed all the way to about 3.15, so I'm tired, tired. I did not get my nap, uh, my normal Sunday nap. So two this morning, a, long, a good visit, uh, enjoyable visit this afternoon, and then preaching tonight. So I will sleep like a baby tonight. But uh, I was talking with them in one context of life, and I, they reminded me and I reminded them in conversation, only by pride cometh contention. A lot of the problems that we have, this is free preaching before we get to the message tonight, a lot of the problems that we have in life just boil down to being proud, yeah. uh, just, just arrogance. And so I've always enjoyed coming to the nights uh, of our stewardship Sundays where we can come together because we've agreed. And you say, well, we haven't yet. <laughs> Give it time. Uh, the answer is we've agreed because we've been honest and we've been open uh, integrity and transparency go a long way in the work of the Lord. Uh, no one has an agenda here uh, except for to please and to serve Almighty God, to glorify Him, and to lift up His holy name. We'll get to 2 Corinthians 8 in just a moment. But to finish off our study of the stewardship principles that we've looked at in the morning, there was sweat, which was work. We had to do hard work, honest work, which ultimately is honest work. We looked at the first message in this series. Then we looked at the idea of saving. Uh, there, are some pa- there is a pathway to saving, and once we are on that pathway, there is principle, P-A-L, principle that we are to be engaged in in the saving process. In other words, we take the sum amount that we use. This morning, we looked at the idea of spending, There is foundational spending, there is formational spending, and once you've established yourself as a diligent spender of the provisions God has given to you, then you can do fun spending. Well, tonight we come to the final topic, and that is the principle of sharing. Now, you would think on a night like this, I would give you notes. I would share my mind with you, but there really are no notes. There's nothing to share on that front. I'm going to go through essentially a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 that show us what churches that are healthy look like when they are giving abundantly to the Lord. And by the way, we are that church. But the Corinthians were being encouraged on the basis of the Macedonian believers to give abundantly to the work of God. I'll read a proverb for us, we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the preaching tonight. The message will not be long, and then when we transition into the business meeting, we will ask Pastor Zach to come lead the meeting and then take the vote. This will be the first time I don't have to take a budget vote. It is glorious. It is wonderful. Glory, hallelujah, and amen. The Proverbs says in Proverbs 22 and verse 9, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Father, help us tonight. 
as we look at really the culmination of good stewardship. And that is that we live within the security of your principles and our work within those principles so that we can give to those who have need. We can be abundant. So many people, Lord, will say, oh, if I just had lots of money, here's what I'd do with it. And the Bible teaches us how we can diligently, day by day, put aside for that which is necessary so that the day can come that we can do that which we wish. We can be abundant. We can share openly. God, I pray that through these messages over the last three Sundays and two of them today, we can see that stewardship isn't a difficult thing. It's just a doing thing. We have to get to it. Help us to see that again even tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Acts chapter 4, you could read the story of good old Barnabas. It's the first introduction to we, that we have to this man and many others in the church there. And in Acts chapter 4, the church comes under its first persecution, but in the process of that persecution, there are some people who are going without. They are losing their opportunity to earn. And the church opens, for the first time, the privilege, the opportunity, you might say, for people to give to the work of the Lord. Oh, no, what a story it is at the end of Acts chapter number 4. They give abundantly. People are selling lands and giving. One of the great phrases then there in verses 31 and 32 says that they distributed. It means literally they found those in need and they communicated by giving to those who had need. We find in that passage the heart of the matter, that is to give, to be eager about it. When a church is unified in its purpose, in its process, its programs, then the people of that place can safely trust that what they give to is going to glorify God and be put to use in His work. Many of these individuals in Acts 4 gave superabundantly to the Lord, even to the point of selling things and satisfying the needs of the early church. Now, thankfully, we do not have that issue or problem in the present-day American church, and certainly not in ours. But more than a quarter century after the church began the process of giving and laying in store, Paul writes to the Corinthians, a church themselves, about their giving. He puts their attention on sharing of their abundance, giving beyond the minimum, we might say, which is not typical. So here, as we have found our way to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, I want to walk through a couple of scriptures for us. I'm not going to read the whole thing, though we will as we go through the main points tonight, to get the idea of what it is that God wants from each of us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. By the way, those churches include Berea, Philippi, in Thessalonica, you could go and read the, the letter to the Philippians and find that the Philippian believers were likely the target church or the mindful church, the church that Paul was thinking of as he's talking about the churches of Macedonia that gave. They had great joy, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4, because of the uh, partnering with Paul in the ministry of the gospel. We keep reading. It says, "...how that in great trial of affliction..." The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty 
abounded unto the riches of their what? Liberality. They weren't stingy. They were eager to give because they understood the program. They understood the process. They understood truly the person, Jesus Christ, and the work of Jesus Christ that they were giving to. He says in verse 3, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship or the partnership of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. By the way, that's the key, isn't it? You have to first give yourself to the Lord before you can give the first penny to the Lord. That's the problem for most churches. Uh, I've run across many times in the process of pastoring a church and when we built buildings, uh, there are programs out there where people will come in and say, hey, listen, if you just hire us, we'll come into your church and, and we'll convince them that they can give more money. And I thought, how egregious is that having an outside source come in and tell you that you need to give more money. That's, in my mind, borderline criminal. (laughs) It's not, because I understand that there's some churches where the Spirit of God is not moving, where the life of God is not, and people might need to be stirred up. So I can understand there's a place for it, but that is not in this place. And so as I read these passages and I look at this, I see the secret is that they first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you. In other words, we want Pastor Titus, who he writes a letter to, we want Pastor Titus to do the same work within you. I want him to teach and preach and instruct you in what it means to give to the Lord's work and then the Lord's work, how they ought to use it properly. We're going to study then the giving here of this local church in chapters 8 and 9, or at least the admonition that Paul gives to them. If you have earned, if you have saved, and you have responsibly spent, as we have looked at over the last three messages, then you should be able to share what God has given to you with others. Well, I need more for me. How much do you need for you? You say, are you coming into my wallet tonight? No, I'm just commending what we're already doing. In effect, for many of us in the church tonight, especially on a Sunday night like this, especially in a business meeting night like this, we are already engaged in the process of giving to the work of God. This is more of a rah-rah message as opposed to a you-should-get-going message. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you want to give as He gave. Notice what he says if you go down in chapter 8 and verse 8. Paul says, I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the frowardness or the eagerness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Of course, this is the spiritual context. We are rich in the life that God has given to us through him, through Christ himself. But that richness changes what our ambitions are in this life, that which we have received. Sharing that which God has given to us begins first, if you want to take notes tonight, with a gracious mind. With a gracious mind. Beginning in verse number 7, we'll pick up the reading. We've read verses 8 and 9. He says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything... 
In faith, that is the saving faith that we have. In utterance, that is speaking the word. In knowledge, that is the diligence to, or that is the, not the diligence, that is the ability to know God. And in all diligence, that is the doing of the thing. In your love toward us, that is the agape to us. See that ye abound in this grace also. What Paul is saying to them is, you've got to develop a mind, a way of thinking, that this process of participating with God and with others corporately is going to be a part of who I am and what. What I do. It defines you as a believer. And then it talks about, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and in verse 10 we pick up again, and here I give my advice, for this is expedient, or it's helpful for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward or to be in advance a year ago. In other words, this church had already begun the process of taking an offering. The particular context here is taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem, and they'd already begun that. He says then in verse 11, Now therefore, perform the doing of it. Don't just think about doing it, do it. That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to what he hath not. In other words, if you think you want to give to God, and you've not done the things that we've talked about to this point, you can't do it yet. Get those things in order. Get the income that you need. Get the savings approach that you need. Get the spending under control. And then you, with a willing mind, can do what you need to do or want to do. He goes on in verse number 12, or verse 13, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. It is a shared load process. I love the fact that year after year after year, when especially now Zach likes to do trends, he's one of those financial nerds, you know. You're welcome. And he always shares with me, and in the years past I used to ask Mark this all the time, what are the giving spreads? Not the giving amounts, but do we have three people in the church that give 95% of the money? And the answer is no. We have a shared equality. Those that have and those that may not have as much, all of us are giving. Not the same amounts, but we're giving in the same cycles. In other words, we're giving to our power. We're giving to the ability we have. What a wonderful truth. What a joy, a gracious mind, a way of thinking. I've not just become conditioned in a habit to do this. It's something that I think on. I care what happens to my church because I care what happens to my community, to my commonwealth and to my country. In other words, as the church goes, so goes the country. You believe in that. And so it's not that you just send a check in, but part of being here is you support the work. It's a wonderful thing. Because this work is you. We're the body. We're not some organization. We're an organism. We're a body together. He goes on and says in verse, four, uh, verse 15, As it is written, He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. There was a sharing of the load in the process. In verse 16, he goes on and says this, But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation, being put more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. In other words, Titus was eager to teach this church this foundational principle. Paul is just writing this letter to him, and Titus is carrying it to them, so that he can sit and teach them this principle of giving. 
Verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Do you know we don't know who that man is? Isn't that wonderful? Now, that guy might be in heaven and say, my name is Jim. (laughs) I mean, I just would like a little credit here. No, he didn't care. Titus is named, but there was a man that seems to have been overly engaged in the work of giving. Verse 19, and not that only, but who also was chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace or being responsible for the gift, the money, the treasury, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your, here it is again, ready mind, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in the abundance which is administered by us. In other words, hey, we kept very careful account of every penny that was given. Nobody was going to blame us for taking a dime that wasn't properly accounted for. By the way, we do the same thing here at the church. We don't just have the staff look at it. We have extra men, people in the church, those of the membership that come and set their eyes on what is spent in this church. That's important to you because it's important to God. Verse 21, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner. In other words, he's now given the bona fides for Titus. He's given him his credentials so that he is not questioned. He is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messenger of the churches. It seems that there was a traveling party from church that gave, from church that gave, the church that gave. They would send one more along in the party as they traveled with Titus. They are messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. In other words, each one represented a church that was partnering in this particular offering for the church at Jerusalem. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love. In other words, he says, let's take an offering. Let's see the proof of what you want to give. How do you want to share? And of our boasting on your behalf. (laughs) What a great line, isn't it? Paul said, hey, man, I've told him how great you are and how much you want to give. Nope. <laughs> Good luck. I mean, could you imagine them giving like half a buck? Well, it really didn't work out like we thought. Paul, under divine inspiration, is saying to them, I know you can do this. You know you ought to do this, so let's do this. In verse number 1 of chapter 9, we see it says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind. Again, here is the eager readiness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia. Now, what has he just done? The Macedonians he bragged to the Corinthians about, and he's saying to the Corinthians, I bragged to the Macedonians about you. What he's doing is he's getting them together on the same page to be excited about the work of the Lord. What a truth that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal hath provoked or encouraged very many. Friends, if you do not have a gracious mind to give, if your thinking process is in any manner that you don't want to give, can I tell you something tonight? There's two things that I would suggest. One, don't give right now. If you're not ready to give, don't give. But if you're not ready with a gracious mind to give to the Lord then get your heart right with Him. Because your passions are set on something else other than God and His goodness. 
The second thing you can write down this evening, we see beginning in verse number 3 of chapter 9, is a genuine heart. If you want to be one who shares happily with God and His work and with God's work even beyond the walls of the church, you have to have a gracious mind, but you have to have a genuine heart, a sincere heart. We've already read of the Macedonians in chapter 8 in verses 1 through 6. I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but the Achaeans, or predominantly the Corinthians, particularly those of Achaia, are who he now moves to address beginning in verse number 3. And here's what he says beginning in verse number 3 about their genuine heart, down through verse 9. He says, Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready, lest haply if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared. We, that we say not ye, should be ashamed. In other words, he says, I'd like to say you'll be ashamed, (laughs) but in fact it's me that's going to be ashamed because I clearly didn't teach you something right. He goes on and says, Be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. That word bounty there just means the surplus, the abundance, the gift, the offering. Whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. In other words, the bounty is freely given. It's the spoil of you. It's the things you say, yes, this is God's and I want it to be God's. It's not of covetousness. Well, I really wanted to keep that, Pastor. But, you know, you guilted me into giving it. Don't ever be guilted into giving. Make your giving a bountiful gift. One that is expressed. He goes on and he says this in verse number 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he which soweth bountifully shall reap also what? bountifully. Every man is courting as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. Wow. Speaks to the genuine nature of our heart. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Do you know when you have a sincere, genuine heart to give back to God with a mind that is filled with His grace, then God's going to say, that's the kind of person I can trust with more. You say, that's the way to get rich, huh? That's not what I'm saying. More ministry, more opportunity, more obligations. God can trust you with more because you're faithful in the little, which is just your financial structure. Verse 9, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Paul uses the example first of the Macedonians to encourage and challenge the Corinthians, and then uses the Corinthians to encourage and challenge the Macedonians. May I say to you, tonight, you are encouraging many of us who've been here since day one because of your continued faithful giving. No matter where you've come to join the church in the last 15 years, when you jump in and jump on board with giving to the Lord, and it's not just your finance, but of your time, of your talents, of your energy, of your gifts, of your abilities. As you've done those things in the church, it encourages us of old, and you are encouraged that those of old did the same thing to make sure we got to this point. It's essentially what Paul is doing here with the Macedonians and the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, look, they can do it. You can do it. You can do it so they can do it. It's a great encouragement. 
His focus is on the earnestness and eagerness of their resolve in this passage. They said they wanted to do it. The question remained, would they? Well, if you have a sincere and genuine heart, the answer is yes. How genuine, we might think, was their conviction on this matter if Paul had to remind them. I would surmise to you, or, 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 or submit to you, I should say, that if this was in 1 Corinthians, I might doubt their ability. But because it's in 2 Corinthians, they seemingly by now have begun to really get the concept. And that carnality that was in the first letter to them is seemingly removed or has been removed. And now they are moving from carnal Christian living to consecrated Christian living. And it leads us third and finally this evening to generous hands. If you have a gracious mind and a genuine heart... I didn't get that that either, lady. I'm going to take her off. That's spooky. That's the first time it's ever happened. Let's see if she gets it from back there. Probably not. If you have those abilities, meaning those, those things set in your mind, a gracious mind, a genuine heart, and then generous hands, there's no stopping what God can do through that kind of a work, through those kind of people. Look what he says beginning in verse number 10. He says, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us... Thanksgiving to God. Boy, we're in a great week to teach this, aren't we? I wonder what it's like to be part of a body or a family that is dead or dying and doesn't care about the work of God, and so they don't first give themselves to it, and therefore they don't participate in the fellowship of tithes, giving, grace giving to the church. Verse 12, he says, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. In other words, it is beyond what we can think. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God, in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. May I submit to you that verse number 15 within context is yes about our salvation, but it's the outworking of salvation in the generous giving that these people participated in. I can say then tonight that as a pastor here low these 15 years, I am grateful for his unspeakable gift of salvation, but also his unspeakable gift of you, his people, who assemble Sunday after Sunday, service after service, activity after activity, knowing that we don't just gather here to be a people here, but we gather here to be a people that go out there. That is a joy. It's thrilling. You know, it's not hard to write a check out of a portion of your income to a work that is healthy and cares about dying souls in your community. Because it's not just writing a check, it's participating in the fellowship. What is the application and then introduction of our new and illustrious pastor of finance? First, we are giving and a sharing church. Part of growing up is taking responsibility for what is yours. And finding ways to expand your abilities. That is the great joy of life. Drew is 14 and reminds me he's almost 
15. He's actually still seven and a half months from that, but he reminds me that it's not long then until there is a driver's license in his future. All right. Part of growing up, right? Part of growing up is taking on more responsibility. It's true for a church. Bluegrass, I believe, is at a significant crossroad over the next two to three years. Through our faithful living for the Lord Jesus Christ, through your dedicated service to Him and to, uh, uh, by our diligent financial stewardship, we have begun to establish that we are, as a church, becoming regional with a desire to become generational in our impact. That is, by the way, in keeping with our purpose statement, which is on the back of your bulletin, the least read document in all of the church. Our purpose is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, love others, and on purpose or intentionally share the gospel. We have demonstrated as a body corporate the four stewardship principles that we have studied over the past three Sundays. We have given, now I don't know the to the penny dollar or or to the dollar exact amount, but over the past 15 years, as a corporate body, we have given well over $6 million to the work of the Lord. That's great. I mean, it's almost $3 million just since COVID. Praise the Lord. To God be the glory, not to us be the glory, to God be the glory for that. This giving has paid for the administration, the operations, the ministries, the evangelism, and ultimately the development of people, then programs, and property. It all started with two people. Then 14 were charter members in December of 2008. And up to each of you who are members and attenders here today, God has continued to grow the church. Your consistent and faithful giving is the revenue of the church, as the accountants like to say. You, God's people, have chosen to lay in store on the first day of the week, week after week, month after month, year after year. And each year on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, we spend our time looking into what we can and will do with that gracious giving as it continues to grow in the coming year. Every single person who has ever been part of the financial stewardship process here at Bluegrass has always served in an exemplary way. Beginning with Mark Woods when he began as our first treasurer, counting and keeping private the individual giving of the membership. As we grew, we brought on Brian Fulcher, who served in a staff position, managing the budgets, expenditures, and the financial health of Bluegrass. In 2020, we hired Pam Lindner, who does the bookkeeping for the expenses as the ministry's secretary here. In 2021, we brought Brian Lawson in as a deacon to come and serve in unison, Not as a fact checker, but in unison with Mark Woods in the role of income treasurer. Most recently in 2021, Zach was hired to be the budget and financial planning staff leader. And in April was established as an ordained pastor, shepherding the finances of the church. Each of these individuals, in their time and in their served positions, have given great performance to Almighty God that is glorifying to Him in both an excellent and exemplary way. That's a blessing. For each that have served in those ministries. I'm very glad for Zach, who's taken ownership and stewardship responsibility of managing the financial resources of Bluegrass. And I'm glad that he likes my single phrase, it's just money. 
Now, it's funny to hear me say that after preaching four messages about money. Because the staff believes I don't think it's a good thing or a bad thing. And the answer is, using money the right way glorifies God. Using money the wrong way destroys your life. It's just the bottom line from the Bible. And so, Zach, if you will come and tell us 